everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Brancatelli, of course. Welcome back to the show, or thanks for tuning in. If you're checking it out for the first time, thank you. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, like it, share it, tell your friends, tell everyone about it. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just got two more, so I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, got 157 five-star reviews now on Apple Podcasts, which is great. It's, uh, it's a good way to show support that's free, cheap, and easy, and really, really helps the show, helps get guests like Daniele on the show and other people because it shows that you guys enjoy what you're listening to and there's an audience out there that uh, is responding to it. So if you do like the show, please go and do that. If you want to go a step further, you can go to my Patreon page, and uh, that's patreon.com slash Mike Brank. Get access to stickers and T-shirts and the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group where we have people from all around the world talking, connecting, little Mikeadelic community there. Announcement, I will be at Sonic Bloom a Music Festival here in Colorado at Hummingbird Ranch in Colorado. It's going to be a four-day epic music festival with a couple of my favorite artists, one of them being Emancipator, uh, who is great. If you don't know Emancipator, he makes just great tunes, man. So go check him out. Um, I have a, a Mikeadelic Trip Tunes playlist on Spotify, and there's a lot of Emancipator songs in there. So check me out on Spotify, by the way. I, I love music, and I spend a lot of time actually making playlists on Spotify, and there's a Mikeadelic playlist on there. So go check that out. And uh, more to come, actually. I will be at Sonic Bloom. I will have special limited edition Mikeadelic stickers. They're actually, they're really awesome stickers. I need to apologize for anybody who's gotten the stickers that I made, the first batch of stickers. They are a matte finish, not a glossy finish. I didn't think of this. I put one of them on my water bottles, and uh, it peeled off. So I was pretty bummed about that. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. I just got the wrong stickers. First time ordering them, but I have new stickers in. If you go to my Instagram, follow me on Instagram, by the way, Mikeadelic underscore podcast. You'll see the pictures that I put up of the stickers. I designed them myself, and uh, they're, I like them. They're really cool. We're, we're getting a lot of good feedback on them, too. Kind of like a psychedelic jungle vibe to the background image. Uh, so those will be, I'll be handing those out at Sonic Bloom to people that will be there who will be at this music festival in Colorado. So if you're there, message me. Find me on Instagram, Mikeadelic underscore podcast. Message me on Facebook. Go to my website uh, to the contact form. Hit me up on there. I always respond. And um, yeah, get yourself a cool sticker. I think I'm going to be printing some more merchandise type stuff. And um, that'll be available too on my website to come. This episode is with Daniele Bolelli. Daniele Bolelli is just uh, one of my favorite human beings in the world. He's a writer, martial artist, university professor, podcaster. He hosts the Drunken Taoist podcast and History on Fire, which is an amazing podcast. If you like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, you're going to love History on Fire. It is incredible. I mean, just when I thought that I could know as much as I could know about history, there's all this new, new shit has come to light, man, as the dude would say. New information has come to light. So it's really, really great. And I believe he's going to be on this new service called Luminary. So go check that out. All the links are in the show description, the podcast notes. I first heard Daniele on Joe Rogan's podcast, Joe Rogan Experience. And um, I mean, it's just, this is the kind of person that I, that I like. He's just a, a great human being and um, someone that's been through a lot of challenges and adversity and um, 
and and made it through the other side. And I think we have a, a good conversation about life on this episode. I think you're gonna really enjoy it. Um, got sponsors for the episode: uh, Psychedelics Today, Navigating Psychedelics is their course. Check that out. Uh, comprehensive guide to getting into psychedelics and integration and what to do and what to use and all the information and education that you could want about psychedelics. Go check it out. Psychedelics today. Navigating psychedelics is the course. Links in the show notes. Hemp bombs, hemp derived CBD products shipping to anywhere in the United States. Get 15% off by entering the code uh, Mike15 at checkout. And then Synchro, Keto, and plant based nutrition products 20% off by entering Mikeadelic. And those links are all in the show notes. So, yeah, um, the next podcast that I release, I think, is going to be a solo podcast. I'm also going to be podcasting from Sonic Bloom as well. So, that'll be cool. We'll have a festival podcast coming out. Um, if you don't know Sonic Bloom, check them out. I think they still have tickets available. It's in seven, six or seven days. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. I love music festivals. I just love you know, the atmosphere, the energy, the community, the connection, the love, the sharing. And this one's really cool because I've never been to a music festival like this before. It's music. It's an experiential uh, thing. It's music and yoga and art and painting and dance and just a whole immersive environment. And we're camping there. I'm camping out in a tent. So it's just really, really great. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, other music festivals that I've went to, I've had like a house with people and it was kind of just, you know, music, food, beer, that sort of thing. But this is something really different. So Sonic Bloom, I'll be there coming up June 20th to 23rd, 24th, something like that. Go check them out. And uh, if you're there, message me, find me, hit me up, get your limited edition Sonic Bloom Mycadelic sticker. And um, yeah, as I was saying, the next podcast I'm going to do is going to be a solo podcast. I haven't done one in a while, but I got a lot of stuff on my mind, a lot of stuff I want to say, and I have a real special announcement about something that I'm going to be offering uh, that I think you guys are really going to like. So check that stuff out. Stay tuned for that. Uh, once again, if you like the show, please support it just by sharing it and telling people about it and uh, you know, leaving uh, some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Much appreciated. I need to mention that there were some troubles recording this podcast episode, and I, and I have no idea why. Uh, we had some technical difficulties. I'm in Colorado, Danielle's in California, so we communicated over Skype or Zoom. I forgot what I used, but uh, I have a high-speed internet connection where I podcast from in, in, my, in my home. Um, it, it seems to be okay most of the time. However, I've noticed that I've been having issues lately, and there is a 5G, a Verizon 5G tower that has been recently installed on my street. Uh, and I'm thinking that this may be what's causing interference with my network connection. So I, I really need to sort of rectify this problem because I've had several podcasts now, this one included, where we've had glitch outs, cutouts, pauses in the talking, and it's infuriating. And it's it's not acceptable to be releasing these these podcasts as far as I'm concerned. However, the content is so good. And the time that the, the guest has given me, uh, I need to try and piece it together as best as possible. So it's not inaudible, it's not terrible, but I'm not satisfied with the, the level of quality that, uh, that this podcast is. And Hamilton Souther's podcast recently was also, uh, it had some static and interference. So 
If anybody has any information as to why this could be happening, please contact me because, you know, I, I do this podcast myself. I reach out to the guests. I book the guests. I record the shows. I edit it. I do all the social media stuff, put the show notes, description, the links, all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on with this, this connection. Why is this happening? I mean, I've, I've, I went through all my settings. I've done everything. So anyway, I'm not going to bore you to death with all this stuff, but I just want to put a disclaimer in there. Please don't write like a shitty review. Oh, this podcast sucks. The audio sucks. This is a fluke thing uh, that rarely happens. As you guys know, longtime listeners of the show know, I, I continuously put out high quality uh, episodes. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of, about maybe only doing podcasts in person from now on, you know, just to avoid this Skype static stuff. It's just, it's just so infuriating. And as a, an audiophile myself, I, I can't stand it when something isn't sounding crisp and rich and, um, and high quality. So uh, I'm sorry about this. I apologize. And we're going to rectify the situation in all, in all transparency. I had Daniele record a couple of pieces of the podcast uh, that were just so bad uh, that I couldn't use them. So I had him do a little uh, touch-up editing recording to send to me, and we placed them into the podcast into the positions that they were in. So if you notice a different tone, that's the way it is. Just wanted to give a full transparent disclaimer as to what's going on, the behind the scenes, and we're going to work to rectify this. If anybody has any information that can help me with network connection glitching out, 5G interfering with Wi-Fi or whatever it is. Maybe I need to just connect to a, a landline, like old school, um, I don't even know what it's called, the Ethernet. Yeah, Ethernet instead of going over Wi-Fi. I, I don't know. Uh, is, is that the way to go? Is that what I should be doing? Um, I've always had, I've never had an issue with Wi-Fi. So anyway, needed to say that. Please, um, if, you, if you can't listen to the podcast, if it's too much for you, Please don't write a negative uh, comment or something that this is a, a fluke thing and we're going to correct it. Um, but the content is really great. So if you can uh, hang on, I think, it's, I think it's okay. It's not the greatest quality, but it's, it's pretty good. Okay, thank you very much. Enjoy the show. Without further ado, let's get in to just an, an incredible, awesome human being. One of my favorite people to listen to, one of my favorite people to learn from, and now one of my favorite people to talk to. Daniele Bolelli, everyone. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. A 
lot of the times the the conversations that you get into on podcasts aren't necessarily specifically at least the podcasts that I've listened to you with Chris Ryan and Joe Rogan and uh, and Duncan and Aubrey and those guys. And that's kind of like my wheelhouse. You know, I kind of started this show from being inspired by what Joe and Duncan are doing. And then when I found you. I was like, well, this guy's great, too. So I got to listen to his stuff. And uh, and so, yeah, rather than kind of digging into anything specific, I feel like let's just try and have a, a conversation like two human beings would have. And then we can record it and hopefully it'll be good. How's that sound? Yeah, just take it in any direction you want. It's good with me. Awesome, awesome. Well, I figured you'd be cool with that because you're a nonconformist, you know, anti-dogma, uh, you know, rebel, middle finger, UFC fighting, uh, mixed martial arts, I should say, fighting uh, uh, philosopher, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I mean, like, none of the things that I'm into are really that important per se. To me, it's all about life anyway. You know what's important is life so it doesn't really matter where one starts from the important stuff is uh, the stuff that makes life good all these other things we talk about are just tools in that direction they are just uh, you know excuses to move energy but you know i can nerd out on any one topic forever but in the great scheme of things it doesn't really matter that that particular topic is not it unless it has a positive impact on life as a whole Oh man, I'm so happy to hear you say that because that's exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about life. I mean, I just I look at you as uh, you know an inspiring figure, an intellectual, uh, you know, a person who's out there teaching. You're a teacher, and you know you're doing it does like the the kind of work that you're doing in my opinion you know you get labeled as this kind of uh, rebel you know against the grain alternative uh, history but it's not it's just that that's the this is the stuff that's the good stuff that w- that's the interesting stuff and uh unfortunately a lot of the mainstream establishments don't value that as much and uh you know you should be you should be working at like an elite institution making multiple millions of dollars a year as 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 far as i'm concerned because you're one of the the greatest teachers that we have out there so thank you for doing what you do thanks so much man but yeah the way i see it i think to me institutions are it doesn't even matter when or which geographical space or what point in history. Institutions are what they are, which is uh, kind of dead and dry and boring. And I can't really think of too many amazing, innovative ideas coming out of institutions. You know? Yeah. Why do you Why do you think that is? Well, because the nature of an you know an institution that is built on a bureaucracy is built on maintaining. You know, you have to up the eyes and do all you know all very nitpicky to make sure they are following a correct format that keep the image of that institution the problem is that's not how life works right life is messy and chaotic and it thrives where there are fewer rules so you know an institution is safe it's it's standard it delivers you know it will deliver a certain quality that's usually kind of average so that means it's not going to be below average you're not going to find some ridiculous crap that come out of institution most of the time sometimes it does but most of the time you're going to keep something within a certain parameter but the same way you're eliminating all the bottom of the barrel you're also eliminating all the good stuff yeah a very conservative approach a very safe approach right yeah. it's trying to make everybody happy and this yeah. sort of thing but like you just said life is messy and chaotic and that's where it also flourishes too uh there's this great thomas jefferson quote that i like i think he said uh, timid men uh, timid men fear the tempestuous sea of liberty 
and prefer, you know, they prefer safety over, over the tempestuousy of liberty because they're afraid. And I think that, that fear paradigm, you know, has been persisting throughout our evolution in, in humanity for a long time. And then it gets manifested in our external, uh, externalizations of our inward psyches in these institutions, but we're trying to order the, the chaos that just can't be ordered. And that's, uh, that, that's a, a deep, a deep thing, right? Like that's coming out of uh, human being psyches to try and keep controlling something or keeping order to something that just can't be contained. And, you know, you probably need both. You, you do need a little bit of stability and standards and rules. You know, they have their place. Yeah. But not when they become the only way, when they squash alternatives. You know, because you also need the opposite. You need the freedom that comes from not being constrained in this way. So, you know, in the in ideal world, you would have a little bit of both without such a rigid division between the two, where you understand that, you know, institutions have their limitations, but they also provide something. But for the truly experimental stuff, you have to sort of venture out of the map, and, uh, and that's not, it's not just as important, it's even more important. Yeah, you got to venture beyond. How, how, did you, uh, how did you venture? beyond the map what was it for you that that sparked that curiosity in you to say i think there's something else here maybe i should uh take a look at some other stuff or read some other things that i'm not being told in school i think the way i grew up was always there was kind of always a bit of a contrarian vibe to the way i grew up to the way i was raised where it was always i was always encouraged uh, mainly by my parents kind of to look at things from a different direction to whatever was the norm to say yeah that's great and all but what about this other side what about this other way of looking at things so i kind of never fit in any one orthodox way of doing things just because that's not the way i was brought up Oh, that's amazing! What a what a great uh, what great parents you must have had. That's such a a great way, in my opinion, to to raise children. Really, to teach them to to question things. And I know you you have a, a daughter as well. And uh, wow, what what an amazing <laughs> what amazing experience to have a father like you to be there to teach her these these amazing valuable life lessons that we need. And I can't think of anybody better to have a conversation about life with than someone like you. I mean, who's wrote so many amazing books about religion and um, you know conquering fear and you know that that your amazing podcast that you do, History on Fire, The Drunken Taoist. You're also a martial artist, professor. You know all these amazing things. So. Um, yeah, th- this this is kind of the the standard uh, that we've been. What does your study of history tell you about this relationship that we have as human beings? To um, I, I I mean, really, when we look at like governmental structures, religious structures, or even the family unit structure, they all seem to be kind of structured in this way. As we were talking about the mainstream universities and these institutions. What, what does your study of history tell you about, you know, that and, and human beings' relationship to these institutions and how we evolve or how we grow? Well, I think the way and I understand where it comes from, you know, the necessity for some of that stuff. But at the same time, I do feel that like, there's a great quote by this guy, Mikhail Bakun, who was uh, kind of an anarchist. He's, uh, and he has this quote, let me see if I, oh yeah, it's right there. He says, no theory, no ready-made system, no book that has ever been written will save the world. Mm. I do no system. I am a true seeker. You know, the problem with any kind of systematic thinking 
is that it's assuming that if you just follow the recipe, you'll get the goods. And there's something to be said about that. You know, when you're learning how to cook, probably following the recipes is the way to go. You learn the basics, you get, you know, you're not going to screw up too bad if you follow. You know what I mean? You're going to come up with something that's relatively in the ballpark of something. But that's not how you create great food. You know, the great chef doesn't go by the recipe. They go by their notes. They go by little tiny adjustments on the fly. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, the true mastery is in. To me, that's what, you know, the difference between system and, you, you know, not everybody can go without systems. You know, not everybody has the sensitivity or the talent or the ability to uh, kind of embrace this more radical freedom of doing things and thrive with it. They, in many cases, they will screw up badly damaging themselves and others in the process. Right. I understand that there are dangers involved. I understand that, you know, maybe a more systematic approach is good for a lot of people. And in some cases, it's probably good for everybody to at least be familiar with the systematic approach so that then you can go beyond it. You know, it's like, okay, this is the standard. I get what's good about it. I'm also already pressing against its limitations. Now let's move on. Right. So I, I do think that there's a place for both in that regard. You know, you do systematic thinking helps to some degree, but then that's never where you're going to find the true strokes of genius. They are not going to be found within a system. Yeah, because it's hard to go beyond the system. If you're just sticking to the system, if you're just going with what has been done before, you're never going to really create anything innovative or new. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, something that's really, really cool um, that that you've done is your book, uh, Create Your Own Religion. And you said it's a how-to guide without instructions, right? And it's like, you know, we were just mentioning the people that need to operate in a system. And I feel like nowadays we see so many books that are being published in New York Times bestseller list. It's like, you know, the 10 steps to get friends and like, here's what you got to do. And, you know, seven second rule to freedom and, you know, don't give a fuck about this or that and whatever. And, uh, you know, these, these, these kind of provocative books that are basically telling people like here just follow this plan and you'll be okay but that's yeah that's not honestly i mean again i understand there's a need for it so i'm gonna you know part of me understand it part of me just want to throw up when i <laughs> yeah i think i, I fall in that the latter camp of like kind of wanting to puke because i think on my on my journey of trying to improve myself understand life better get some better information i've tried you know some of these books and, and reading them and i'm just like it's just the, there's something em- empty here it's not it's not really hitting me maybe for the immediate time that i'm reading it but it doesn't have any lasting power it doesn't have any staying power you know and in my, I mean, my experience with uh, the publishing industry, the little bit that I've got to peek behind the curtain, so ugly, it's not even, especially this kind of books, especially the self-healthy type of uh, stuff. Uh, you know, most of that stuff is created, just artificially created by agents and publishers who essentially commission authors to say, this is the framework, this is how we're going to do it, this is going to be the catch title or the subtitle, or this is how we're going to sell it, and, you know, just let's put your name on, let's provide a little content, but it is essentially really crafted in a very artificial kind of way, where, you know, the times when I, like more recently, because, you know, all my earlier books, they were all very small publisher, very much on my own, I can, I have a lot of freedom with it, because, if somebody's dropping a ton of money in your lap, they're probably going to want more control. 
Right. But if it's a small publisher, the good thing about small publishers is that they give you more freedom. So that was, you know, fun with its limitations, but fun. And then, you know, recently, because History on Fire was doing very well and so on, I got, you know, more offers to do stuff with the big publishers. And it was so gross. Mm. I just couldn't. Because realistically, what was coming out was like, look, we're going to use your name, we're going to use your image, and we're going to tap into your audience. But we are going to basically run the show with a product that our marketing consultants think is going to sell. And I'm like, well, then fuck off, because I don't, re- you know, I don't write for that stuff. You know, there's really no check big enough that you can sign that's going to make me interested in that, because that just, I don't know, the whole world, there's such a sellout vibe in that kind, in the way it's framed. And, and not everybody goes through that. You know, I'm sure there are cases where the match is great between author and publisher and everything else and things line up well. But generally speaking, they have their idea based on sort of their marketing research of what's going to sell, how it needs to be crafted, what it needs to look like. And they churn them out with, you know, they're basically built in a factory type of model. You know, it's just right. Yeah. That mold that you're going to fit in and we're going to keep running with it. Yeah. 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 It, can, it definitely feels like you know, that. Yeah. Because exactly what you say is like all those titles, they all sound like the same thing. It's yeah, the seventies, the twelve steps to that, the rules for that. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> right, actually, yeah, the the twelve rules for life. That's a big uh, seller. Jordan Peterson's uh, book, and you know, Jordan Peterson, he gets he gets talked about as this guy who's, you know, he's really sort of appealing to a lot of younger people, and uh, you know, I have a lot of younger people that listen to the show, and and you know that there's this whole talk of like the. Um, you know, that he's like this much needed figure right now who's saying a lot of really inspiring things that are helping people and stuff like that. And, you know, I think I, I like some of the stuff that he says, but, uh, but I also think that there's a lot of other people out there that, that are, that are doing really good work too. And they're not, you know, getting the same sort of attention for whatever reason. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he did choose to name his book 12 Steps for Life. I wonder if that was a marketing ploy. Because, I mean, he has depth to what he's talking about. What, what's your take on, on Jordan Peterson and, and sort of his uh, rise to popularity and, and how he's uh, uh, speaking to the, the youth of the nation, so to speak? Uh, they're considerably more generous than I am in that department because I really don't like stuff or multiple reasons i think like the good stuff that he brings forward is i mean of course you know you tell people to take responsibility for your actions that's great of course but that's not jordan peterson that's like everybody for the last five thousand years from your grandma to everybody you know certain things are sort of basic common knowledge which i guess is sad when they aren't common knowledge because they are everywhere right so i feel that the good stuff that you find in the jordan peterson books is found everywhere else. You know, it's like uh, his work on mythology is like, okay, that's kind of like nice, but dime store version of Joseph Campbell right. or Young. Or, so I feel like the good is found elsewhere. And what he brings along with it is also a lot of, um, I think that there's a lot of baggage that he brings along with some good uh, common sense maxims. And the baggage is, Flat out poisonous. So I feel that that's where, uh, you know, if you want 
stuff about personal responsibility, there are 10,000 other sources that don't come with the baggage. You know, his messages about sexuality, I found like they make me, they seriously make my balls shrink because it's just so horrendously, like it's a return to this ethic of um, pre-1960s sexual revolution, very harsh towards sex outside of marriage, very harsh towards sex in general, in a way that I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is like Puritanism 2.0. Yeah. Or, you know, a lot of his stuff about gender roles is both inaccurate historically as well as really weird on a social level. There's, uh, you know, there's a few things where I'm just like, look, I understand the good stuff. You know, I get it. Personal responsibility. I'm a fan. It's a cool concept. But get it from somewhere else. There are way better sources to get. Like the good that he brings to the table can be found in sources that don't come with all this baggage. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he seems to be resonating with a lot of people. And I think one of the reasons is because he kind of represents this like archetypal kind of stern father figure type of thing where, oh. y- yeah. And I think, I mean, not to make a comparison because I don't think he's a dictator and I don't think he's a cult leader, but it's the same psychological mechanism why people like dictators and why people like cult leaders. Mm. They like this um, seemingly strong authoritarian figure who's like this, I have the answers, you feel that your life sucks, let me show you how you can fix yourself, young man. And, you know, it's the same, there's a reason why cults are popular, there's a reason why dictatorships are popular, there's, they fulfill a psychological mechanism that, you know, anybody who has less than pretty high degree of self-confidence can uh, sort of be seduced by that siren song of the guy who comes like, I have all the answer. I'll make life great again kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and like we've seen examples like that play out through history yet, you know, a lot of, a lot of things about history is that we don't, we don't necessarily learn so much uh, from it as a, as a, a government, a, you know, a, soci- a society, a culture, you know, looking at sort of what has happened in the past. Um, but, uh, but then, you know, someone like you comes along and you're, ta- you're telling about all these wonderful things. I know you were, I was listening to something on Rogan recently, we were talking about uh, Teddy Roosevelt. There's another kind of, right, like stern figure, kind of a wild guy, uh, yep. t- took a different approach. Um, my question is like what when we're looking at history uh, why why do you think it is that uh for whatever reason that in the mainstream establishments we get presented with a certain version of history you know here in America we get presented with a certain version of history that makes America seem favorable and with as little flaws as possible uh but if we're looking at history as a whole and all the way back there's a lot of lessons to be learned there that doesn't seem like that our mainstream establishments really consider <laughs> would you say that that's a fair assessment sure and some of that is not even just the u.s it's an every like for whatever reason people in many places seem to kind of view history through the lenses of some weird nationalistic beliefs everybody history their nation is the cool one and everything they have done is great wonderful and I mean, that goes back to the bigger theme of nationalism, which I personally don't get. Because it's like, that's not you being born in a country has nothing to do with, you know, who you are as a human being, as an individual. Is uh, you know the good that happened in the country's history has nothing to do with who you are. 
you just happen, you know, you didn't save anybody, you didn't start a revolution, you didn't do any of that shit. Right. You're yeah. just part of the nation. So the notion of to take pride in a national identity always struck me as weird. And it came not about US specifically, about any national identity. I just don't get it. You know, I understand face to face communities, those are important. And I understand thinking about humanity on a global level. I don't understand the middle stage, which is too big to be a face-to-face community, but too small to be inclusive of humanity. Right. That stuff makes no sense. And so when it's applied to history, that makes even less sense just because it's plain and simple, falsify the evidence. You know, over and over people who do that will tweak the history because they want to reach a preconceived conclusion, which is we are great and wonderful and can do no wrong. And it's such bullshit because in the history of any nation, there's uh, there are we are probably gonna find some really cool things, and you are probably gonna find horrendous things. And so this need to try to doctor it to some people sometimes do it the opposite way. They want to their agenda is to cast a particular nation in a super negative light. That's right. silly too, because uh, you know most things are more complicated than just a Disney type of uh, all good guys or all bad guys yeah and then you were mentioning like the people that's yeah it's like our you know we landed on the moon like we we won the war here it's like well we we didn't do anything it was (laughs) has nothing to do with you i wasn't i wasn't alive during that you know you you weren't involved with that but it's just like and and this plays out with religion this plays out with i don't know maybe like brand loyalty to corporations or whatever this is this feeling that people need to identify with something bigger than themselves uh do you think that's what it is Oh, yeah, huge. Yeah, so I'm not sitting back and pointing the finger saying, uh, oh, look how stupid people are who buy into this stuff. Because I very much understand why people are attracted to the guy who tells you he has all the answers, why people are attracted to the idea of belonging to a group. All of these things satisfy some major psychological issues that human beings have. You know, the desire to belong is one of the most powerful forces that human beings are driven by. The In a super messy, chaotic universe, having somebody who tells you that they figured it out and if you just follow their rules, everything is going to work out, is very reassuring. You know, it makes you feel better when you are scared, tense, you don't know what to do with yourself. There are so many messy choices in life. You know, so I completely understand the mechanism behind it, and I sympathize with it. I just think that often in the name of trying to scratch that itch and satisfy these psychological urges, we jump into things that are even worse than the problem that we're trying to escape. You know, The desire to belong often turns into this vicious factionalism where you know, whether it manifests itself in racism, whether it manifests itself in aggressive nationalism, whether it manifests itself in, uh, um, you know, soccer fans, you guys need to die because you root for the other team, you know, that kind of stuff is like that desire to belong, which is very understandable and human often, not always, but often has a really dark side to it. Same thing, you know, the desire to listen to somebody who has all the answers often turns into personality cult and dogmatism and 10,000 other really nasty things. Mm-hmm. So it, it, to me, it's like it's too easy sometimes, you know, we see this phenomenon and we say, oh, that's because people are stupid. It's like, well, I mean, 
yeah, in part, but there's it's a little more complicated than that. You know, it's like it's probably important to understand why so many people gravitate toward religious fundamentalism or why so many people willingly jump on the bandwagon of ideologies like Nazism or communism or 10,000 of these other things that have produced terrible results. Um, it's not because they're all stupid and it's not because they're all evil. It's because these things seemingly provide a solution to problems that they cannot find a solution somewhere else. Right. So if somebody else is not going to give me the solution, hey, these guys sound good enough. Right. Yeah. And that, and that becomes a problem because as these uh, institutions and people that are promising these things grow in power and in size, more and more benefits are promised, more and more things to kind of keep people in this comfortable state, uh, still kind of in a state of a little bit of fear and, and, and dependent upon this message. And I don't know, I, I think that like, you know, where, you know, you're definitely someone that embodies and represents this head-on facing fear and challenges. I mean, you've had tragedy uh, strike you and you've persevered through that. And I want to talk a little bit about that too, but I, I want to talk about the the character of people today and with your knowledge of history and this sort of warrior ethos um, that I feel maybe a lot of people are, are sort of wanting to embody that sort of warrior ethos, but they can't because there's no real mainstream apparatus that's that's calling them too. So it's like, you know, for the lucky people like myself and you who can kind of like get out of that box and go look for the the things that speak to us. But the, the there's this this character of this kind of modern domesticated dependent person today. How do the people look in the world today compared to in history? What when were the times in history where we were living in a different way where maybe we were more autonomous, we had more freedom and we lived in in a more of a sort of warrior poet centric uh lifestyle sort of so to speak well i mean i think it's easy to romanticize the past ah. and pretty much any time and any place i'm sure if you dig an app you can find a monstrous amount of crap that part of the lifestyle um each one some more some less you know clearly some places and sometimes are considerably better than others but um you know, it's not that everybody said, you know, take something that I enjoy, right? something that I like. The sort of nomadic lifestyle of native tribes after they have the horses, so they have the best of hunting-gathering lifestyle without the limitations of hunting-gathering lifestyle. That looks awesome. There's uh, so many aspects of that lifestyle that make sense. However, again, it would be silly if we forget these guys were still locked in major intertribal wars, and the odds of somebody coming to try to cut your throat in their sleep were pretty high. So it's not like it was all fun and games, and everybody was enlightened and everything was great. You know, there are still there are still its serious share of problems. So it means like today we have a different kind of problem. The problem of uh, paradoxically success, of safety, of abundance, relatively, of course, because it's not like everybody's swimming in gold, but comparatively speaking, and, and yet most people are not really happy. They do feel alienated from a sense of community. They don't have necessarily extended, you know, something that's very human, such as the notion of wanting to belong to a community, something that becomes less and less prevalent in the modern world. 
uh, or rather the desire is still there, but the opportunity much less so. Um, you have uh, the fact that lots of people spend their lives doing work that they hate, so they are alienated from the stuff that they do for a living. There's, you know, there are many, many things where nobody's coming to cut your throat in your sleep. You have uh, running water in your house. You have, uh, you can watch Game of Thrones on TV. You know, mm-hmm. it's cool. On the, there's food in the fridge. Nobody's. It's all very cool in that scenario, but it also feels empty in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we need, we need a little risk, right? We need a little danger. We need something to, to challenge us, right? Sure. And, uh, and I think there are ways to, you know, you, the alternatives are not either live in the middle of like crazy wars, but hey, I feel alive and it's exciting, or live in a safer, more mellow way, but it's dry and boring. I think you can definitely find some healthy middle ground there. Um, so it doesn't really have to be either or, but as a society, we are definitely struggling with it. I think as individuals, some people totally figure it out and they have no problem. As a society, it's not the easiest thing. Right. No, it's not. And, you know, I think a, a lot of uh, problems, you know, we face a lot of problems today. A lot of people feel, you know, maybe depressed at times or full of anxiety, worry, fear, these sorts of things, challenges that life throw at us. Oftentimes, sometimes it's like, oh my God, I thought I was doing the right thing. And then this thing came at me. Now you're someone that had to move through tremendous pain and suffering. And it's, I mean, how are you still alive right now? <laughs> like, you know, to me, I've been in, I've been in places of, of deep despair and, and problems happening. And I've had suicidal notions run through my mind and, and go, oh my God, you know, it's just not worth it. This is too much. But I can't imagine uh, you know, losing your, your wife and then being, uh, you know, with your 18 month old, old daughter at the time, having to face that challenge. And not only that, but also your, your house and, and then your job. I mean, these are things that, that people face in the world all the time. I and mean, at the beginning of the show, we, we talked about how, you know, we could talk about your, your books and all these topics that are wonderful. But when you break it down to the, the bare bones and the raw core element of, of why we're here and what, what matters, love and connection uh, with other people and, you know, some safety security so you can eat and provide food and these sorts of things. And that was in jeopardy in, in, your, in your life. And you managed to get through that. And how did you do that? I know you wrote a book about it called Not Afraid on Fear, Heartbreak, Raising a Baby, and Cage Fighting. Um, and so people can go and check that out. We'll put all these links in the show notes so people can go check out your, all your work, uh, amazing stuff. But I was wondering if you'd share a little bit about what it what it took. What was the, the thing that really, you know, I mean, just walk me through, I guess, that, that process of, 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 of facing these challenges, these things that are out of our control and this fear and this pain that can overtake us can make it look like it's, everything's lost. And then where do we go? What do we do? How do we get through? And I think you're the best person to comment on, on that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely had my share of shit coming in my way. I'm sure, you know, there are probably tons of people who had even worse coming their way, but yeah, I definitely did not have a lot of fun in that period you know there was uh shortly after we had my daughter the, you know, my wife got a brain tumor and then within six months from the initial symptoms she died my baby by that point was yeah barely about a year and a half or something so you know i had to raise her on my own 
coincided with the fact that uh, yeah my job uh, what i would where i was thought he was going kind of came crashing down coincided with all these you know really bad so as a result of that you know without two incomes we're kind of like our house was we're gonna lose our house so there's a lot of stuff all at once for sure at the same time there was that sense of i think already when my wife was sick there was a period as their symptoms got much worse very fast where i was just going pretty much 24-7. Like I was getting very minimal sleep because I would have to take care of my daughter during the day. And then uh, one of the things that my wife had as a result of the brain tumor, she really couldn't sleep. She slept probably no more than three hours a night. And at night is when, uh, you know, whereas she kind of kept strong during the day, usually that's when she started freaking out more and she needed more help. So, you know, I'm taking care of her at night. I'm taking care of my daughter during the day. I'm going to work at the same time. I'm doing the work of like six people all at once. And, you know, the thing was, well, what's the alternative? <laughs> you know, right. It's like, okay, it sucks. It's hard. So what? You know, it's not that because you sit back and say how hard and it sucks and suddenly the universe is going to say, oh, poor baby, I'm so sorry. Let's fix things for you. You know, it's like, no, that's just how it is. These are the cards you're given. So while you're totally entitled to say, Jesus, man, this really sucks. Once we have a knowledge that it sucks, then what? You know, how are you going to play your cards? Because that's really the only thing that matters at that point. Yeah. And, you know, during that period, the really the only priorities was just keep everything running, make sure that my wife was taken care of, that my daughter was taken care of, that I still got to do work and all of that. Once uh, my wife died, then it was just my daughter. You know, she's a year and a half. She needs a lot of fucking attention just the way any baby needs. On top of it, she just lost her mom. So she needs even more attention. So, okay, well, that's the focus. Make sure out any way to pay the bills. Make sure I can kind of reinvent my career while at the same time making sure that my baby is happy. And really nothing else matter at that point. It's mm. like... You know, you can have your few minutes where you feel pissed off about life and why did this happen and all of that. And it's like, okay, you need to vent. It's good. Do it. But you vent on a... There, there's the time is running. Take 15 minutes to vent because you don't really have the luxury of sitting around and whining for the next three days, you know. Diapers need to be changed. Stuff needs to be done. So get over it, you know. Now, a lot easier, or rather, it's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, it's hard, but it's not that hard in the sense that, you know, you got a mission, you got to make it happen. You are in the middle of a marathon. You cannot stop to complain that your feet hurt. You know, you're, you're there. You have a job to take care of. The downside of this is that while I did take care of it, you know, my daughter did grow up fairly happy considering the conditions. I did fix it economically. I did all these things to make it happen and it did work. I certainly could have handled the emotional part better. And I don't know how, by the way. I'm not sure what I should have done or could have done, but I do notice based on now, you know, my body started breaking down in the following months slash years. And I think a lot of it was just uh, too much stress, too much unprocessed grief too much stuff that 
I mean, I was talking about stuff, but I guess maybe I should have gone deeper into it because I did start popping up with like physical symptoms. They were clearly, I mean, they were real. They were the result of stress, but they were also very driven by my mindset. They were driven by my psychological state. And, you know, eventually things started getting better slowly but surely. So every year was a little better than the year before. But I definitely, it's not like I did it and I walk right through it and uh, with a smile on my face and everything was great. I kind of did, but I definitely paid a price physically, first and foremost, uh, that came from some psychological aspect that had not been properly addressed properly. Now, what properly addressed means, I have no idea. Because, mm. you know, I don't really know what. Um, you know, it's not that I wasn't acknowledging what happened. It's not that I wasn't talking about what happened. It's not that I was trying to repress my feelings. I thought I was being as honest as I possibly could with myself. Maybe it was just too much. Maybe that's it. You know, maybe there was no deep, dark secret. Maybe that just, you know, if you get kicked in the balls enough, well, yeah, it hurts. That mm-hmm. just, that, you know, maybe there was, or maybe there was a better approach that I didn't figure out. Um, you know, I was happy that I got out, that I got my baby out. Okay. That I got, you know, all of that, but, um, but yeah, I definitely struggled for a while. That's for sure. Yeah. But you made it through and, and that's, that's the important part, you know, and, and like you said, it's like, it could be easy easy sometimes to just say, why me? Why is this happening? Oh my God, what am I going to do? And just. You know, I mean, it, it is, yeah, it's a lot to take on. It's not easy. No one tells you, hey, get ready in your life because you're going to be faced with this or, you know, there's no playbook. It's so you're just, you're dealing with it as it comes and it's unimaginably difficult, unfathomably, you know, uh, pain and, and agony and suffering through that. And, but there's, um, there's a sort of power that I guess that comes with facing that head on and making it out through the other side, right? I think there's a power that comes from uh, defiance. Now, I'm not so delusional as to think that the universe has a personality and either at some point in my life may have had it out for me or something. I'm not quite there yet. But at the same time, sometime when your life is not turning out for the best, when you are running into you know bad things after bad things all happening at the same time, there really is a moment that makes you wonder, you know, how do I get up in the morning? How, how am I going to deal with all this stuff? And defiance helps. You know, finding a way to... There's a certain pride that comes from finding that strength to stand up in the face of really bad odds and really bad situations with a vibe that says, you know what? I'm not yet dead, motherfuckers. So I'm still here. I'm still standing. And not only am I not going to get crushed by all this... But I'm even going to find a way to enjoy it. I'm even going to find a way to smile today in spite of it all. Clearly, there's, you know, this is gallows humor, right? It's when your circumstances are absolutely awful and you still manage to find a way to smile. But there's a power in gallows humor. It's, uh, you know, you can change the situation around you sometimes. You know, sometimes you can. Sometimes it just that's just not an option. However, you are not going to allow that situation define who you are. And that's huge. Or how you're going to respond. You know, sometimes motivational speakers tend to skip some important steps. 
you know, the, the basic message, the pick yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, you can make a difference, don't dwell on being a victim, you know, sure, that's all good and stuff. But the reality is that the reason why I'm saying it with kind of a sarcastic tone is uh, it's all good because they make it sound too easy. They make it sound like it's almost insulting when you don't acknowledge that you have been dealt really crappy cards. When you make it sound like just follow these seven steps and you can conquer anything. You are the master of your own destiny. It's like, yeah, makes me throw up just to think about it. Not because the message is wrong, because ultimately you want to empower people with the sense that they can do something. But they just make it too Disneyfied, too fake in a way. You know, is uh, I remember even I was watching this YouTube video by, well, actually he's a nice person, so I don't want to mention the name. Um, but my, you know, I was watching it with my daughter, this video, and the basic message of the video, you know, the guy was saying, anything that happened, you can find a way to spin it in a good way. Anything that happened ultimately is for the best and all of that. And I remember my daughter, just when the video finished, she said many words that are not appropriate for a kid her age, I guess, but basically expressing her less than stellar enthusiasm. And I was like, why? You know, he's saying some things that are ultimately trying to help people get over sadness or heartbreak or things like that. And she was like, yeah, but it's fake. Because, you know, sometimes bad things are just bad things and trying to put a pretty ribbon on it doesn't make them any bad. Oh, sorry, you just cut out there. Can you hear me? Where did I cut off? The poor guy is telling you to try to make the best of any situation. And she's like, yeah, right. Your best friend gets murdered in front of you. It's for the best. Look at the bright side. It's like, fuck you. No, it's not for the best. Some things are just awful. Some things are ugly. Some things are terrible. And trying to paint rainbows on top of that is bullshit. It's just, you know, it's you're pissing on my head and telling me it's raining. It's not. It's sometimes it's bad shit. Now, once we acknowledge that it's bad shit, then that's where the next step comes in, where it's like, okay, we are on the same page. It's bad shit. It's unfair. Poor you. And I'm not saying poor you, like, oh, poor you, like a joke. No, it's like it sucks. And, and you do need in some way that to yourself and even from others to have that knowledge that yes this is heavy this sucks but once we have gone around it enough time that's where the next step is healthy which is like okay so fucking what um what am i gonna do about it how can i respond to this i got some really terrible cards handed to me the game is still not over how am i gonna play them because that's ultimately the only thing that you have power on and the only thing that matters is how are you going to play those cards? If those cards you are given are great, good for you. Lucky you. If those cards that you are given are not good, you still got to play them. You know, It's not that... Uh, oh, you know, this idea that there's, you're supposed to expect some kind of fairness out of life is sweet. It's just not the way life works. Right, yeah. So yes, ultimately you want to be able to rise above it all but you do it but first acknowledging what you're dealing with um, so the way you go you know while the end message may be the same the, the way to go about it is very different you know so it's important sometimes to acknowledge that yeah things are unfair things are unjust things are terrible it's not 
all for the best. Sometimes things are truly as awful as they feel. And yet, once we acknowledge it, then what? You know, just dwelling on it and rolling on, poor me, look at how mean the universe has been, doesn't really help anybody. So what interests me is once we have acknowledged it, then what do we do? And that's where for me, at least on a personal level for me, is where the defiant element comes in. And I found it that many times in my life when things were ugly, it gave me a certain strength. Does, does your um, understanding of, of the Tao help help you with this uh, sort of, under, you know, this way of being? Is this a sort of Taoist approach? Yeah, because I mean, there's some of it where it's not personal. Nobody's doing it to you. Just that's the way the universe rolls. And um, like the same way as it's not done to you with a bad intention, it's really at the end of the day, the only thing that ma- it, it's almost like working with natural forces. You know, it's like if you're trying to swim up river and the current is not evil, it's not trying to mess you up, you just need to figure out how to go about it a different way. Probably swimming up river is just not going to work. That's not the way the energy is rolling. Yeah. Very practical approach. It's like, okay, what can I do in this context to achieve the best possible results? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we really were as a, as a culture, we really are uh, clamoring for these sorts of stories. And you, we see it a lot in, in pop culture with, you know, the, the popularity of the Marvel movies and the hero stories and Star Wars and all this stuff. You know, Game of Thrones, another good one. You know, people like this the story of good overcoming evil and, and people persevering through challenging times and facing fear head on. Uh, as, a, as a historian, what are some of your favorite um, moments in history or characters, uh, people in history who uh, maybe give you some inspiration or motivation or just have really great stories that we can learn from in, in persevering through fear and challenging times? Yeah, a lot of the, that's kind of one of the themes that I tend to run toward when I when I do biographies on History on Fire and rather than just covering a period or an event, I'm covering some people at his life. Yeah, I think your what most recent one is um, uh, with I- Ikio Jojo. I don't know how to pronounce oh, yeah, his name. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, Ikio is great. You know, he go, he lives in the middle of a period of civil war in Japan, famine, all sort of terrible things, and he finds a way not just through power through it, but to actually be happy, to laugh a lot, to enjoy life to the fullest. Mm. I love that guy. That guy is great. You know, it's a different approach from, let's say, uh, Theodore Roosevelt or a crazy horse or some of these guys who are just, you know, like crazy horse is sort of like the Native American version of the Punisher. It's just somebody to horrendous things happen over and over again. And he's just an absolute beast as a warrior and, you know, keep fighting on in the face of absolutely hopeless circumstances. So there's something really cool about that archetype, but perhaps there's something even cooler about the EQ archetype where you're not just fighting on grinding your teeth, but you find a way to be happy in the middle of some really shitty things happening. Right. Yeah. The episode is called enjoying hell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. That was one of his lines. He's like, throw me into hell. I'll find a way to enjoy it. 
he's not you know he's not benign that there's uh, sometimes conditions are hellish. He's saying I get it, and it can happen. I'm gonna find a way to enjoy it, not because hell is not hell, but because I don't want to let it have the power over me. Mm. Now, way easier said than done. Okay, right. there are certain things that yeah, good luck enjoying when when serious hell is breaking down around you. But even then, you know, that was also part of what, you know, my experience was not like enjoying, like, oh, yay, I'm so happy to be here. This is so cool. But at the same time, it's like, here we are, you know, and, uh, you know, with my wife, it's like, once we understood that there was no way out, that she was dying, then it's like, well, okay, that's the eventual outcome and it sucks and there's nothing we can do about it, but that hasn't happened yet. So in the meantime, you know, right now, in this one moment, what do I have power on? I have power maybe to make you laugh. I have power to, for the next five seconds, 10 seconds, 45 seconds, to take you away from a place where you're just staring at your inevitable demise. And we instead find something that's funny, that makes you actually enjoy life, that makes you I mean, there was a moment where I remember saying, uh, you know, I feel lucky. And I was like, try that again, what? You know, and she's like, yeah, minus the brain tumor that's killing me part. Mm. I was like, how exactly? It's like, well, you know, it's like, I'm really, really appreciating how sweet a lot of people have been to me, how people who I didn't really think they were friends have been great friends to me in this period, how... You know, no, I wish it was... Yeah, I do wish things were different. I don't want to be here. This sucks. But she was also able to appreciate some of the beauty that was happening. And again, one doesn't negate the other. It doesn't mean that then the hellish condition weren't hellish or that you forget about it or that it's all great because you can find some good moments. It's not. But it's important to also have that stuff, to, to consider that, that other aspect as well. Yeah, definitely. It's this kind of paradoxical nature of being in itself. It's like, I think so many times, as we were talking about earlier in their conversation of trying to order the chaos and create systems and institutions that try and make things a little bit more digestible for us. And we want to, okay, we understand this and we understand that, and this seems okay. But, you know, there's, there's, there's really this kind of great mystery that really we don't know. And we, no one knows all the books that written, all the experiences that people had, you know, myself with a lot of psychedelic experiences and being like, oh, wow, I, I think I know something. And then boom, you know, next one, I, I know nothing. And it's back to something else again. And, and it's, it's, yeah, I think uh, I, I definitely see that in the in the landscape of of our environment today. Is that I mean, and I'm sure that it's been this way for all of time. You know, this kind of resistance to use the cognitive energy to swim in the nuance and in the gray and in the in between. You know, it's like either one side or the other, and that's not the way it is. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, uh, it's way messier than anything we picture in our more abstract models. Yeah. So what 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 do you think like people need in order to to cultivate these skills or to to you know when faced with difficult challenges and making it through what are some skills that that one should arm themselves with or you know be prepared for what what do we need to to make it through this life and uh and in the best way possible knowing that inevitably a lot of things that are going to be out of our control are going to become flying at us. I think sense of humor and empathy are huge. You know, sense of humor is huge. 
at the same time, not if it becomes snarky or cynical or mean-spirited, you know, sense of humor with an empathy, with a, with a certain sweetness to it, too, where you combine the two, you know, one is not at the expense of the other. And the other element, I really think there's uh, defiance, that sense of uh, no matter what art you give me, um, you know, as long as you are standing, you do keep sort of raising your middle finger to the nastier conditions coming your way and, uh, you know, put on a defiant smile on. Uh, I dig that. You know, it's like I think one of the guys that I did a series on at one point was Jack Johnson, you know, first black guy to become heavyweight champion in boxing at a time when, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s is where his boxing career was. This is a time when lynching was completely normal, where, I mean, the degree of racism was so off the charts that it's hard to even conceive of today. And this whole thing was just, you just smile right through it and pretend racism didn't even exist. Despite the fact that he was staring him in the face every single day and everybody was trying to remind him of what this place was supposed to be. And he just was like, nope. I'm going to waltz right through it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you really, you, you kind of become a, a different person when you're able to do that. And it's this, this, you know, I think that for myself, I'll, I'll speak about myself and I know this kind of magnifies to a lot of people too, but for myself, I, I constantly am tempted with more immediate gratification than this sort of uh, perseverance through something that I know because I've done and, and work on doing. I know that if I stick with it, if I persevere, if I go through, there's something even more rewarding than that immediate gratification can give me. But I'm still tempted by that immediate gratification and I still dabble into immediate gratification. But then there's this also this other kind of way of being and this other kind of power and understanding that comes along with that that warrior mentality of pushing through something and smiling at fear. I don't think the two are an alternative. I actually think that you need both. Okay. It's all about pushing through in this stoic fashion and working hard and this and that. I mean, yeah, that's great. But that can't be all that there is to life. Mm. And in some way, if you are waiting for life to be good, once you have pushed through enough doors, well, you're going to wait a long time because that's probably never going to happen. You know, you're going to keep fighting your whole life. So that ability to also enjoy something in the here and now in a very immediate kind of way, also in some way can give you the strength to then push through. You know, it's like, okay, I have monumental tasks ahead of me that I need to push through. But you know what? I can sit back and eat some strawberries and have a glass of wine. Or, you know, I can get lost into this beautiful woman's smile for a while. And it's like, that helps because too many people are thinking that the prize will come, life will be good once I've defeated all my dragons. And it's like, yeah, that's... There's always going to be bigger dragons ahead of you. So it's in the, in the middle of battle is where you are winking at the hot woman and having a glass of wine. You know? <laughs> yeah, like on the cover of your podcast. Yeah, that's, which is great. It's... Uh... Yeah, you need that. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it takes work. It takes time, right? It takes time to sort of like calibrate that balance, you know, as a yeah. young man growing up in the world, you know, you have to figure out your, your way. We, we don't necessarily have these, uh, sorts of, um, 
rites of passage uh, anymore that uh, maybe more tribal societies. I know you're a big fan of the Native American tribal societies and you know how they uh, approached life. What what I guess like in uh, what would you like to see? How would you like to see like humanity play out or? maybe even if it's not as grand as humanity, but just kind of an ideal vision for a way that people can get along uh, and, and learn these skills and really learn how to be, um, you know, these, these kinds of people with balance. I think there are a few issues that everyone needs to tackle because those are the issues. They are the basic building blocks of life. For example, our relationship with our own physical bodies how can you build a body that's as healthy, as strong as you can possibly have it? How can you affect the energy flowing through your body? Because ultimately, you know, if you are all hand shoulders and, uh, you know, eat crap all the time and never exercise, this is not just going to affect your physical body. It's going to affect your mind. It's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect 10,000 things. So, that's a huge thing right there. The way people treat their own body, the way they should be a conscious choice, should be something that people think about and figure out what's the healthiest possible answer they can come up with. Uh, relationship with uh, sexuality. You know, lots and lots of human problems go back to a terrible relationship with sexuality where people are either ashamed of their sexuality or like weird, bad, negative crap has been put into their brains associated with sex. And that has a huge impact with, on self-esteem. Which, by the way, kind of goes back to what you were asking me earlier regarding why I'm less than thrilled with people like Jordan Peterson. is because I find that he supports ideas that to me are the very demons that have held human beings back. You know, particularly when it comes to this sense of shame regarding... Uh, sexuality, particularly sex outside of marriage, which he seems to be less than positive about. I find that awful, personally. But again, you know, everybody needs to figure out what their ideal answers are to these kind of topics. So the body, sex, uh, relationship with uh, the earth around us. Um, do you believe in, you know, all the basic foundational things that form most philosophy, most religions, Everybody needs to find answers to those things. And they better be your own answers, you know, so that you are not following somebody else's script. Uh, or another big one is community. You know, as human beings, we're built and hardwired to live with other human beings. Modern life, on the other hand, is pushing us toward a lonelier direction every day. Um, so many people today, even in the most affluent industrialized nations, suffer because of loneliness, which is a weird paradox. You know, we are as uh, successful as anyone has ever been in history, and yet people tend to be, there's a high percentage of people who are very miserable. So figuring that out is a key thing. You know, whether how to build modern-day tribes, whether it's around a shared activity, like let's say a martial arts school or any other way, but that's not a secondary element to people's happiness and fulfillment. Uh, so this notion, of, I'm fascinated by the notion of building modern-day tribes, while at the same time enjoying the advantages that modern civilization can offer. So I'm not preaching a return to the past or anything like that. 
I'm just trying to find an antidote to the degree of loneliness, depression, suicide that seems to affect a ton of people in, uh, in modern life. So is there somebody who really stands out to you in, in exemplifying that? Like, uh, who, who's your favorite? Uh, or I know it's difficult to pick a favorite, but maybe someone that comes to mind as a good example that, uh, that you look towards for, for that kind of inspiration or just a good story that, that, that teaches that. Well, I think that's where, you know, archetypes are great because you take what you need from them. I mean, even like, you know, we just mentioned him, somebody like Bruce Lee. On one hand, Bruce Lee was an absolute genius, you know, his stuff, but I mean, when he did in the 1960s, early 1970s, in the world of traditional martial arts, the way he revolutionized martial arts, the philosophy he preached, the, the pure genius, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant. Was he super original? No, I mean, most of his stuff was Dowie with Alan Watts writing, mixed with Krishnamurti, so he was repackaging it. But he was repackaging it in a brilliant way, making it applying to the world of high-level entertainment in Hollywood, applying to the world of martial arts, so kind of giving it a new spin. And, uh, and that notion was, you know, the way he ran it was absolutely brilliant. Now, was Bruce Lee 100% is the saintly, you know, he had his issues. He had anger issues. He was a bit obsessive in his personality. He had, you know, I, I don't look for perfection in people because I don't really think that exists per se. Yeah. But, you know, you don't need to take the obsessiveness and the anger issues. Just take from Bruce Lee the stuff that makes him amazing. You know, that wow. pattern that he had about individuality that's absolutely brilliant. And then mix it with something else and come up with your own thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love this. And I know you wrote a whole book about it. And it's like, you know, the, uh, not about Bruce Lee, but about creating your own thing, create your own religion. Sure. And uh, I love this approach because... You know, it's it's really like say you know, there's so many people today that it's just like, oh, this person, there's one character flaw. Oh, they said this tweet from 2010. They're out. They're cast out. They're ostracized from the society. And it's like, why can't we just look at like the good things that people did and then discard the bad ones and just say, hey, this was a good idea. Oh, you know, uh, I think that maybe you know, for example, like someone might say, like, oh, well, you know, the communism uh, has some th good things. It's like, okay, maybe maybe it's it has a couple of good things but overall you know we've we've looked at that system we've applied it it doesn't seem to be working okay well, what can we take out of there that's good let's discard all the other crap maybe the whole thing's bad but you know it's just like at least examining or looking at something to say what's good about this what can we learn from this and that's what i was asking before about like you know what can we learn from history but it doesn't seem like we we tend to learn so much but, right, but i think it's uh, no you're right i mean it's like some some people you know, in some cases, people are too quick to dismiss the entirety of an idea because, uh, oh, somebody said something stupid, so everything they said is terrible. It's like, no, 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 too rush. At the same time, you're right. You know, it's like, I'm sure occasionally there were three times in his life when Hitler said something smart, but it's still Hitler. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were okay. It does not make up for everything else. It's like, no, you're still a monster. That's just where it's at. Well, the United States sure sure found uh, some some use for some of uh, his ideas or oh, for his for sure, uh, scientists, and think, yeah. And and I think then, but even then, even with the monsters, is like okay, take something like Nazism or communism or some of the or you know, I'm listening lately to um, 
Daryl Cooper is doing this great podcast series on uh, Jim Jones and uh, you know the cult in mm-hmm. Guyana where the people stample, which leads to one of the biggest mass suicides by a cult ever. Right. You know, those are parable stories. They are parable examples. But the point is like, okay, maybe there's not a single good idea that these guys put forward. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Probably there isn't. And even if there was a good idea, it's tainted by the monstrous amount of bad. Right. However, what was the what you can learn from it at least is like what are the psychological mechanisms that made otherwise possibly smart people want something that leads to such a dark place? You know, is not because you have to justify it, but because it makes you understand, okay, while the answers may be 100 percent wrong, the psychological need is not wrong. So how else can that psychological need be fulfilled in less destructive ways? Mm. You know, what is that uh, horrible ideologies are, why are they appealing? Is there a better answer that can um, give people that same sense of satisfaction that they get from these horrible ideologies without all the nasty package that they come in? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's scary for a lot of people. Does it even ex- it, like examine that and be like oh i'm not looking at that you know i don't i don't want anything to do with that right yeah because people think that somehow you're justifying it if you're trying to understand it you know what is the make uh, otherwise fairly mellow normal german who loves his family and is good to his kids and pet his dog what is that makes him jump on the hitler bandwagon you yeah. know it's like does that mean that then we need to justify that hell no but at the same time, you probably want to understand why it happens or how it happens and, you know, what are the mechanisms that make people think that way. Yeah, for sure. And I just can't keep, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the, going back to just fear and like how we want to retreat and we don't want to look at the nasty bits. We don't want to look at the ugly stuff. We don't want to go through the difficult challenges and, you know, the difficult emotions. And so do you, do you think that, uh, I don't know, do you kind of maybe subscribe to this belief that like we are in a time right now where, I mean, I guess we're always in a time as human beings are evolving, but we're through the internet, through this, I mean, the simple fact that I'm able to just talk to you and then put this out to a bunch of people. And it's like, we can connect, we can see each other. We can, you know, we have this sort of technology that can like lift us up yet. At the same time, we also see also playing out a lot of lack of intelligent discourse, a lot of, you know, just stupid stuff happening. Do you think that, are you an optimist or a pessimist or a little bit of both? I, I'm going to think probably a little bit of both, right? Yeah. I mean, I like uh, realistic optimism, right? So it's like you take reality for what it is. And in many cases, at the same time, you know, if you're going to be a pessimist, might as well shoot yourself. And I don't mean it right. <laughs> I really mean it. I mean, like, do you see no hope? in anything if you see that it's all doom and gloom what's the point of getting up in the morning right yeah very uh, Camus-esque uh, way of looking at yeah, things and, and I'm not even judging it because I understand the fact that in some cases things can look really hopeless and terrible and who knows maybe you're right maybe they are hopeless and terrible so I'm not even saying oh just shoot yourself I'm like hey if that's what you believe if that's how you feel if you can't find nothing to go for for who the hell am I to tell you otherwise? You know, it's yeah. not my choice. I think that even in fairly awful circumstances, there's a way to push forward. There's because ultimately, if you can't find a way to be optimist about life, not in a oh, it's all gonna work out great and everybody's gonna live in the Garden of Eden, but 
something, you know, it can be small, but something that makes you wake up in the morning going, you know what, despite it all, this is worth it. Well, then you got a problem because, you know, it's like that to me is the key. That's the one thing that in order to, otherwise you're just going through the motion, you know, you're living through inertia, not because you actually want to be alive. And those are two very different things. Yeah. What do you think about like the, and I know we're, we're heading up on, we're a little bit past an hour, so I want to be mindful of your time, uh, just a a little bit more and and then we'll, we'll close up if that's all right. Um, there's this, I guess, notion, and especially today, like we were mentioning with all the self-help books and this stuff, it's like, we got to be happy that we got to, it's all about happiness. You know, you got to be happy all the time. If you're not happy all the time, there's something wrong with you. And it's like, okay, well, it's a little difficult sometimes to be so happy in this environment. And plus, should we really, is that really what we should be striving for? Is happiness the thing? Is that, is that the penultimate? Is that the, the top of the mountain? Uh, or is there something else? Is there something deeper? Because a lot of times we're, you know, you can't be, you can't be happy. Like you're on ecstasy 24 seven, just like, wow, life is great. But it comes in those moments. In my experience, it comes in these little moments that, you know, Joseph Campbell talks about this, like in that moment, you know, you're, you're with your, your significant other and in bed and, you know, she looks at you in a certain way and you, you, you're like, oh, wow. And it just hits you. And you're in this moment of, eternity, as Campbell says, you know, the, the eternity is right there. Uh, but then, you know, we, in our culture, we tend to, we want to, the next thing, the great thing, we want to feel that feeling all the time, but that, that, that's not really the goal, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm conflicted on that because on one end, I think that there's enough, like, I don't know, I'm uh, juvenile and superficial and proud. <laughs> you know deliver it to me in any way you can i'll shoot it up in vain <laughs> happiness is good i think at the same time i think like the whole notion of forced happiness oh you need to put a smile on all the time it's like fuck you how about i don't feel like <laughs> yeah oh no danielle you're giving me negative vibes now man don't don't, right. don't give so, me those well, negative vibes it's important, yeah. to, it's important to embrace uh, feelings that are Otherwise, that's not happiness. That's just bullshit. That's some like some Stepford wife kind of fake happiness. That's right. to me, happiness is happiness comes from also acknowledging the ugliness, going through hard feelings, uh, not pretending they are not there and being in denial. That to me is not happiness. That's lying to yourself, which is the best you can deliver is just a fake, superficial kind of happiness that's running away from the stuff that's getting you. So to me, happiness is a goal, is a huge goal, but is not, A, is not this um, mandatory thing that you need to be happy at all times because that's ridiculous and it doesn't work. And also it just, it, in some way, happiness is reinforced and is more genuine and real if you go through a process to get there, to have those moments that you are describing as opposed to pretending that all the ugly stuff is not. Because ultimately, you know, you're, it, it all goes into your subconscious and you will, you will be kind of biting at your heels all the time, even when you think like, oh, I'm having my happy moment. Look at my big smile. You know, it's the classic stereotype that you see some of the people who seem uh, they have that Instagram perfect life where they have the great family and everything is wonderful and they go on this vacation and they smile in every picture. And then, you know, you dig a little deeper and you find out that their life really sucks, that, you know, their perfect family is terrible, that they're seeming happy all the time is 
you know, Prozac 24-7, that, you know, all of that stuff, you're trying so hard to keep up an image that you are actually denying yourself a chance to be truly happy because you are trying to pretend that you're happy all the time. Oh man, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's some great advice. Uh, what, what is, um, what's the best advice you've ever received about life? Perfectly proud of being supremely superficial in many ways. So my, my priorities tend to revolve around, uh, hot women, great wine, uh, you know, I keep it very peasant style. You know, my <laughs> sense of priorities tend to be very grounded in some earthy pleasures that I think are. So anything that has helped me go in that direction, I'm a big fan of. I think like growing up, anything that has helped me embrace life with gusto and life, not just in a, you know, there's, both a religious and the intellectual way to try to justify life, try to, you know, somehow through some intellectual contortion, give yourself the right to say that you can enjoy things or through, you know, religious background has given so much shit to people regarding uh, the sense of sin, the sense of there's something wrong if you are enjoying it. And, you know, I really, everything that has helped me shed that stuff and just be able to be here and enjoy the most earthy things possible, I've been a big fan of. All right. Well, I'm a big fan of that and I'm a big fan of you. And and thank you so much for, for spending this time. My fellow Paisan, my Italian uh, brother from another mother, you know, us Italians, we know how to enjoy, right? <laughs> that's the goal, man. It's, uh, that's what that's what it's about. Is uh, that's one thing that's funny about going back to Italy. Sometimes it's like there's a lot of shit in Italy, but at the same time, that sense of you sit down, you eat this awesome food, you have a glass of wine, and you're like, ah, life makes it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, right? Yeah. It's just, it's it's pretty simple, and anyone can achieve that. Uh, if they're willing to. So, Daniele, thank you so much again for, for spending this time with me. It's such a pleasure to, to have a conversation with you. And uh, I look forward to doing it again, maybe sometime. Um, what are you currently working on right now? Uh, is there anything you want to share with people and, and uh, tell people where they can follow you as well? Sure. I'm going through a bit of a change because, you know, I usually host two podcasts, uh, Drunken Taoist, that's more of a chatty, philosophical podcast. And, um, and then History on Fire, that just a one-man show where I tell some epic stories about history. History on Fire has, uh, is now switching to, um, to a subscription model because, um, you know, financially speaking, it kind of made more sense. But we still have, you know, a couple of episodes a year that are released freely on all the platforms, but then the other 13 episodes a year are going to be released just to these guys. Luminary started this company that, you know, their goal is to try to become sort of the Netflix of podcasting. We'll see how that's going to pan out. But, you know, for the time being, so I'm going to do the bulk of my History on Fire episodes through that. So we'll, um, you know, clearly some people uh, dig the concept of being able to pay relatively little money to be able to listen to some of the podcasts they love. Other people say, screw you, you know, podcasting is such it's free there's so much free content why should i and you know i get both arguments they both make sense i'm hoping that it works because i enjoy doing uh, history on fire at the same time 
unlike drunken Taoist, that requires relatively minimal preparation, and so I can do it on a whim for fun. History on Fire is such a brutal labor in terms of research and preparation that there's no way to do it on a, oh, look at that, somebody sent me $5, then it's all worth it. You know, it kind of needs to pay because it just takes so many hours of the day that that means I need to cut down on other work uh, in order to do it. So that's why this approach makes sense to me. So, you know, long-winded way of saying Drunken Taoist is available all the time on all the regular platforms. History on Fire would be somewhat available on the regular platforms and primarily on uh, this uh, subscription service called Luminary. Yeah, no, great idea. I mean, because what you're putting out is essentially, I mean, you know, we look at like Netflix and things like that. I mean, you're getting all this content that's well-produced and prepared and you know, you pay a, subscri- a subscription for that. And I couldn't think of anything better to pay a subscription for because, you know, the things that you're doing here, you're creating these amazing, you know, these stories and, and putting these, you know, you like you said, like, why should I pay for that? I could go somewhere else. I don't think you can go anywhere else to hear what you're doing because, you know, you're putting things out there that not no one else is doing. So it's like, you know, and there's historical figures and, and topics that you dive into that I, I, you know, it was news to me. You know, and I thought I knew a good deal of history. I guess not. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, thank you for the hard work that you're putting into that. And I'll make sure people go check that out because it's really super cool. And uh, history is fucking fascinating. If you want to understand the human experience and the rise and fall of uh, cultures and societies and people's stories throughout history, this is the, the place to go. So, yeah, that's, that's great. And, uh, and people can go to uh, your website as well. Uh, daniellebolelli.com to find out more stuff there. And like I said, you have such a, an amazing, uh, what's the word? A collection, I guess, of, of, of works and books and podcasts and a course too, right? You, you have a, um, a, 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 like a seven hour course that's available that people can get into, uh, about, uh, Taoism, the Taoist lectures. Oh, the Taoist stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I did a while back because I like Taoism so much, but it's kind of hard to find a really that are more comprehensive on Taoism. You know, the most I would recommend usually was Alan Watts, but um, even that, you know, is a very philosophical language that some people don't speak. So after a while, I was like, no, I really like Taoism. I want to have this conversation with people. Maybe the best way for me to do it is kind of craft it in a way that makes sense to me. So, so yeah, I put together this series of 16 lectures. So when you add them all up, yeah, it's about seven hours, or about half an hour around there each one amazing uh, yeah yeah that one i i had fun doing yeah i'm always, i'm such a lazy sloth i'm always amazed at people you know like you were talking about doing your podcast with little preparation it's like you know i do i try and put out a podcast a week sometimes too and i try and do as much preparation as i can but you know the 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 work that goes into this kind of stuff it's like i'm always just blown away when people like yourself are putting out you know multiple books courses podcasts so Awesome. Congratulations to you and and uh, you know, keep keep doing your thing, keep teaching people. Yeah, that's what that's what we need. So thank you so much again for for being here and uh, I hope we talk soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Mike. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hope you guys like these podcasts and enjoy them. And if you do, please spread the podcast, share it. 
tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a dog, tell an ant, tell a firefly, tell whoever you tell. Share it, spread it, like it, all that good stuff. If you if you really love the show, you want to go a step further, you really want to help us out, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, and go to patreon.com, patreon slash Mike Brank and um, patreon.com slash Mike Brank and you can donate as little as a dollar a month, two dollars a month, whatever you want help support the show that way as well but remember i love you guys no matter what you do i just love that you tune in and you enjoy these podcasts message me i like hearing feedback get in touch with me on instagram mike adelic podcast mike brank on facebook as well and um thanks to our sponsors synchro and hemp bombs if you want a discount on keto, genic, and plant-based nutrition products. Go to Synchro and type in the code uh, Mikeadelic at checkout to get 20% off. And they have amazing ketogenic chocolate fudge called Keto Mana that I have all the time because it's, it has like no sugar and carbs in it. So it's great. And, um, and it's delicious. And if you want CBD, uh, go to hempbombs.com and get 15% off all your CBD needs, I guess. And... Uh, just enter the code Mike15 at checkout. But thank you once again to everybody. Thanks to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. I love you all. Peace.